Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Candy. Are you excited about today's episode? Well, actually, we're going to record two. I know. Yes, I am very excited. The first one that we're going to start with, I'm going to come out of the gate with a question that sounds a little heavy. Okay. But if you stick with me, I think it actually is going to end up being a very, very uplifting episode. Okay. Okay, but here's the question. I've heard it said that for our generation, it's it's a little bit comparable. People asking, where were you when you learned about 9-11 is oh. kind of similar to days past when our parents might have been asked, where were you when you heard about JFK, JFK being assassinated because just two such momentous tragic events mm-hmm. you know that people remember mm-hmm. where they were and what the circumstances were so I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you do you remember I do yes I was working part-time in a real estate agency and I was actually emailing back and forth with my friend Craig just mm-hmm. you know in general and then the news came in about I guess we all found out around nine o'clock or something that morning so that's fairly well what the extent of my memory is and I think we all just spent the rest of the day looking at the news and listening to what was going on. Yeah. I remember I was teaching a group of seventh graders. Mm. I was in a language arts classroom. So what I recall was so unusual was there was a knock on the door Mm -hmm. and I looked over and it's my friend, this social studies teacher who had his own class. So for him to be at my door, that struck me as being, you know, odd. What is happening? And so I went over and he said, have you heard the news? Have you heard what happened? And he just kind of whispered to me, a plane has struck. We think it might be, they think it might be a terrorist attack. And I had to go back in to this class and act normal, teaching these children, wondering what in the world was happening. And then, of course, as the updates kept coming in throughout the day, it was terrifying, but also we had that that uncertainty of what do we do? Do we tell right. the children? Do right. we not tell the children? Yeah. And ultimately, our leaders decided we shouldn't tell really? middle school children, Okay. which I think in retrospect was a mistake because as soon as they got to the buses, all of the high school kids Already had heard. Oh. They knew. And so the high schoolers are the ones that told the They kids. learned from high school students. Okay. And I remember, uh, you know, throughout the next several days, different things that we did as, as teachers to try to calm fears, to try to talk right. about things, to journal feelings, to all the, I mean, all the things, because it was just absolutely, I mean, as we all know, it was just, it was just awful, just right. horrific and very, very scary. So, and very, very sad. So yes, it'll, it'll stay with me forever. When I heard about a show called come from away mm-hmm. that was doing really well I didn't want to go <laughs> honestly I when I heard it was about 9-11 see I didn't even know it was about that mm-hmm. my knowledge of this show was just literally the title and wondering what an odd title well despite the fact that I honestly didn't think I was ready for the em- emotional impact yeah. of a show about 9-11 it had such rave reviews that when it was coming to Louisville with their PNC Broadway series mm-hmm. back in I want to say what 2019 mm-hmm. I did tell my family I think you know you give ideas for Christmas presents I was like you know I think I'd like to see this show it's I've heard so many great things and so I actually got tickets from my sister that was her Christmas gift to me and then it ended up getting canceled because of the pandemic they closed the shows down so I I had this personal connection this was the show that I almost went to see Mm -hmm. still knew very little about so when I was trying to think of the shows we would cover for our July theme of true stories behind hit Broadway shows this came to mind and it felt a little personal I thought you know what Mm -hmm. here's the show I never got to see Mm -hmm. I would like to dig into this and also learn more about the true stories behind this show Mm -hmm. and I am so excited that I did because it was nothing like I thought it would be 
Yeah. And when you told me that you were doing this, I was able to find a documentary on YouTube mm-hmm. and I watched it, but I was not able to see the show. And I, my knowledge is now the extent is the documentary. So I'm very interested to hear what you're going to tell me, but I will tell you, it was a huge mistake to try to watch that documentary while I was putting on my makeup <laughs> because I was just ready to just cry through the documentary. And I thought, oh, now I really want to see this show. Well, what a blessing. I mean, I have to give a shout out. Whoever decided to put some Broadway performances on different streaming services. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What a great thing. I was so shocked when I was able, I just kind of Googled it. I was like, am I able to see this show? Because Mm -hmm. I would certainly like to know what I'm talking about before I go into this episode. And Apple TV Plus actually has out there released a Broadway performance. They taped it live of this show. So I was able to see it. You know, I am a huge advocate of filming shows just for the archival purposes. Mm -hmm. And so people can see your work. I think there's a way that you can have both. I think you can have these very well done films of Broadway shows so they can reach more people and that more people can be exposed to Broadway. Right. And if you're thinking that it might hurt sales, I don't think so. Because I I want to see it more now than ever. Yeah. I saw how very uplifting it was. Nothing like I thought it was going to be. And and I can't wait to see it. If it comes anywhere near me, I'm going to be there. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and talk about it then. When you do, guys, I'm going to recommend if you want to check it out, go to Apple TV and, and watch it for yourselves. But as I turned it on, the first thing I saw were the words based on actual events and real people. Mm-hmm. And then they show the empty New York streets of Broadway because during the pandemic, of course, it had, you know, it had shut down. Right. And then you see the words 20 years after 9-11. And so mm. what they did for this taping, it was 14 months into the shutdown. Broadway had not been opened yet, but they allowed this group of people to come in to see this show. And there, you see them walking in with their masks and you see them being seated. And then this Broadway show opens. And from that moment on, it was nothing but just the best feeling. It oh was my awesome. So the show that you see on Apple TV does include their ensemble cast that includes members of the original and current Broadway cast. So you see a little bit of a mixture, but a lot of the original cast members are there. Here's the part that really got me. The audience consisted of, well, it included a lot of 9-11 survivors and frontline workers. The blurb on Apple TV says, quote, Filmed live on Broadway, the Tony Award-winning musical tells the remarkable true story of 38 flights grounded in a small Canadian town on September 11, 2001. As the locals host these come from a ways, mm. they come together and find hope. And that was a very concise, but what I thought to be a beautiful summary of what that show is about. And it explains, I was confused too, why come from a way? Yeah. That's what the Canadian people from this town called Gander called visitors or tourists they called them come from a ways because they come from because away they from come here from away. no matter where you come from ah. tourists are come from a ways okay. because you're not one of our locals okay yes so that hence the title an article in the hollywood newsletter called deadline summarized the play a little differently here's what they said the musical tells the true story of seven thousand people stranded in the small town of gander Newfoundland, after all the flights into the U.S. are grounded on September 11, 2001. As the people of Newfoundland graciously welcome the come from aways into their community in the aftermath, the passengers and locals alike process what's happened while finding love, laughter, and new hope in the unlikely and lasting bonds that they forge. Also a really good summary of what happened. Mm -hmm. But here's what I really related to. There was a critic who called it a celebration of the best of humankind. That was actually, I'll give him credit to the man, that was Tim Tiemann from the Daily Beast. I agreed with that. That's exactly what that show was. Could not have loved it more. Mm. I'm going to recommend you go see it, guys, if you haven't seen it. But just to kind of pick back up, it did actually reopen on Broadway on September 21st, 2021, when things started to open back up again. And I just found out looking at their website, which is fabulous. If you want to go to the Come From Away actual official site, they have so much helpful information, clips, interesting info, all the things. But it says on their website that their final show on Broadway is going to be October 2nd of this year. Really? Yes. Which some of our local theater friends I saw where they jumped on that because they they assumed, they made the inference, does this mean that now it's coming here it's we coming. can do it soon Ooh. local and regional theaters will be able to do this show which of course is amazing yes it is yeah uh, lots of excitement big... about that so how did it start so going back to the very beginning there was this canadian couple 
David Hine, who was born in Regina, and Irene Sankoff from the Toronto suburb of North York, and they met on their first day of college back in the 1990s, and it was cute because there were a lot of quotes available from different people, including these two creators across the various sources, including the same website I just mentioned. So one of the quotes was from David, Irene thinks it was a welcome barbecue. I think it was a welcome pancake breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) But they became a couple, and in 1999... They moved to New York together because she was doing some some graduate work. So while they're in New York, she's studying at the Actors Studio, same one we see on TV. Okay. He's a musician. So he was actually working at a music studio where the Muppets was recorded. <gasps> and he was borrowing equipment to record his own songs at night. So they were kind of the struggling couple. Sure. But at that time, they were staying, again, in New York in a residence called International House in Upper Manhattan, along with grad students from 110 other countries. And that's where they were on September 11th Mm. of 2001 when those planes hit the Twin Towers. And a quote from one of the sources said, that night, windows shut to keep the smell of smoke out. Mm. Scared students from around the world gathered around a piano in the residence for an impromptu concert, a moving experience that Sankoff and Hine would later draw on for Come From Away. David talked in a different interview about how he had a cousin who was there in one of the buildings around 9-11 when it happened and survived. And that was also, of course, very emotionally Mm -hmm. impactful Mm -hmm. to to all of them. So it impacted them in lots of ways, not just that experience of of kind of living through it, but it made them think about life differently. I mean, it it just... It just it really, yes. In fact, it said it inspired David about a month later. He woke up one day and said, hey, why don't we get married? Aww. And they were already engaged. But on October 12th, 2001, they headed down to City Hall and they secretly kind of eloped mm-hmm. is how they put it. And I heard on this podcast episode, I did not even get to complete the entire episode, but I was listening as I drove here. The podcast is called Broadway Backstory. Oh, neat. And it had a 2017 episode on Come From oh. Away that included some nice little interesting interview clips I from like to various to this. people. Yeah, it was it was interesting. But on that, you hear them talk about how when they went to City Hall, that cousin was with them. Mm. And they didn't realize how just being around in that area would cause that cousin to relive it oh. and how she was shaking. And then she oh. ended up wanting to kind of go back and rewalk through her path that she had taken when she... Because it would have only been a month later. escaped that day. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're talking weeks. Yes. Yeah. So after the grad studies, they end up back in Canada. They're both struggling to make it as artists. And then they had some success with a play that David wrote based on his true experience of his mother coming out. And so it was kind of a quirky little show that became a hit at the Toronto Fringe festival that Mm -hmm. summer it was described as being very sweet and it drew some attention from a producer named David Mervish who wanted it to play at their city's 700 seat Panasonic theater and this basically kind of kick-started their career working together as commercial music theater people creators so the idea to create a show around what happened in Gander Mm -hmm. was proposed to them from someone else there was a man named Michael Rubinoff who worked at Sheridan College And he was basically in charge, I think, of their musical theater program. And part of what they did was they would launch new musicals. And he had this idea that this would make a great musical. He was basically searching for people, kind of recruiting people who might take this on. Okay. And so Irene has a quote where she said, he asked to meet us and we were so nervous. It was like an interview, very formal. And he just asked us a lot of questions. We didn't think it went very well. He told us his idea about writing a musical about the events of Gander when all the planes landed there after 9-11. That's actually David talking now. Okay. I loved it. I loved the story of Gander being this giant airport where the world used to come to refuel. Then planes got bigger and the world stopped coming. Oh. And then the world came back again. Oh. I know. Gosh. So we're going to talk more, obviously, about the setting of Gander, but just to quickly throw that in there, Gander is located right there kind of on the edge of the ocean, and it was this huge airport at one time Mm -hmm. where planes would have to stop to refuel so that they could take transatlantic flights. And then planes got bigger, and fuel tanks got larger. and It got left behind. Right. It got left behind. In fact, in the play, at one point, they talk about something is just mentioned off the cuff about maybe doing away with their airport. Mm. But at one point, it was one of the largest airports in the world which is why i could accommodate all these people exactly exactly but but to people who are 
pilots or people involved in the airline industry, this is some remote spot that is no longer on anybody's radar. Wow. Yeah. To me, gander is a, I don't know if it's a country phrase, but around where I grew up, it was like to look. I'm going to take, take a gander it, or I'm going to take a gander at something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're thinking about that connotation. Or the male goose, yeah. a goose and a gander. Oh, okay. But what they ended up doing was they took a lot of these individual people's stories and they put them together to create this show. And one of the things that all three agreed on, the two creators, David and Irene, and also the man who kind of instigated the whole thing, Michael. The producer kind of, would you say? I would, yeah, maybe yeah. that would be a good. He produced the idea. Or, and he at commissioned least. it. Yeah. He commissioned them to do it, basically. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they all agreed this wasn't a 9-11 story. Mm. It was a 9-12 story. Mm, I like that. That was something they went into it knowing they wanted to do. To summarize very briefly, what ends up happening is they commissioned this couple to go to Gander for the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 event. So it's 2011 now. Right. And on this 10th anniversary, all these people had come back to Gander. The people, of course, in the town who oh, were involved, yes. but also all the come from a ways. Yes. And these two creators, David Hine and Irene, are there too. And they end up interviewing all these people. The people. They talked about that in the documentary. Mm-hmm. They just hours and hours. And the more they talk, the more ideas they got. Absolutely. They said they came away with 500 pages. Ooh. Yeah. They said they would sit down thinking it would be like a 10, 20 mm-hmm. minute conversation. And it would be like three hours with this wow. person or more. And they also like, fa- they had artifacts, they had letters or, you know, different things that people shared with them, Mm -hmm. maybe diary entries, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they had to pull all this together. And it turns into this critically acclaimed musical. First, again, the the fellow who instigated the whole thing was from Sheridan College. So it was first put on as a workshop there in 2012. And then they expanded it, did the longer version in 2013. Yes. Yes. What? You guys are amazing right now. Cheers to you two for getting this, all those interviews and putting this into a cohesive form in a year. Isn't that crazy? And the songs and choreography, all of it. Yeah. Bless their hearts. Well, it was actually, to clarify, I don't know the exact details. I know that the workshop in 2012 even... was 45 minutes. Who cares? 45 the... minutes of material? Uh, no, this is still amazing. This yeah. is still amazing. Very impressive. And then it ends up going on to different, the National Alliance for Musical Theater. It goes through a workshop process at an opera house. I mean, all kinds of things. It went through regional theaters and it eventually, of course, ends up on Broadway. Mm. And one of the things that they said they had to do, you saw it in the documentary, they took it to Gander. They I think wanted, this, oh, this just, want. this just cracked my heart right open when they were, when the people that they portrayed, to, no, that was on Broadway, but when they came to back to yes. Broadway and they took a bow with them. Oh my gosh. But the, yeah, performing it for the people mm-hmm. at Gander. I can't, I can't even imagine how electric and how moving that must Can have you been. imagine? Yeah. So emotional. Yes. I loved it. Well, so that's a basic overview of the process of taking it from idea to stage. But let's kind of dig now into the story itself. So the setting, it was this island of, it's spelled Newfoundland, but you heard them in the play. They kept, they would always kind of like say Newfoundland? really, yes, it sounded like Newfoundland is mm-hmm. how they pronounced it. And it's called The Rock. So most of this story. And what a good analogy. <laughs> when they sang that at the end, they're like, welcome to The Rock. I'm like, <laughs> I can't handle this. I love it. I'm sorry. Okay. But most of this story is obviously set in Gander, but they do acknowledge, the show itself acknowledges it, and they do on the website, that the neighboring towns, the neighboring small towns around Gander were involved in all of this too. But of course, David and Irene had to make this very mm -hmm. concise musical, as you said, with all this material. So you you had to sometimes kind of, uh, what's the word? Fictionalize. Historical fiction. Narrow it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Narrative economy. Oh, nice. That's a good term. I think that is the term. Yeah, I like that. But but I just want to say that because that was something that hit me is that the people in the towns that were featured in this musical, which is so beautifully done, of course, now they are famous and mm-hmm. they're very well known. But a shout out mm-hmm. to all the people who didn't get their name mentioned or their town really highlighted because so many other people in the surrounding area or in the town itself were doing the same things. Okay. Yeah. But this Gander International Airport that we've just talked about was the refueling stop in the past for planes making transatlantic flights. And then it had been kind of sidelined. But on this day, 9-11, when the U.S. shut down its airspace, all these flights, all these planes from all over the world had to be sent other places. Canada offered to house inbound flights, planes flying from Europe. And so 38 planes end up being sent 
to gander. And one of the interviews that Beverly Bass, we're going to talk more about her, but she's that female pilot that is featured heavily in the show. And so lots of different sources have interviews from different people. And so she is quoted at one point as saying how different this was when she first heard she's flying and she first hears word of what happened. Mm -hmm. She doesn't understand it's been a terrorist attack, first of all. And then they come back and they give more detail and and she and her co-pilot are pretty stunned because they're like, oh my goodness, what's happening? Right. And then she said not to be suggested. They're thinking they're going to be sent to some large place, right? And she said when they hear Gander and when they hear they're ordered to land there. Yeah. Not, you know, hey, you can, it was ordered to land there. Like all of these things are just kind of hitting her, you know, in waves. So they're sent to Gander. There was a a quote from her where she actually said in the play, and it came from an interview with her when those creators were talking to her. She actually said, where am I going to park this thing? Because even though it was this huge airstrip airport, 38 planes coming in. I mean, it's like she's almost like having to hop over another plane in order to land. Craziness. Skill. That takes a lot of skill, too. Mm -hmm. A few statistics that they offered on the Come From Away website. I'll just kind of quickly read these to you. At the time that this occurs, the population in Gander is approximately 10,000. Actually, several people said it was slightly under. So not Because they said the population doubled on the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. There were 550 hotel rooms at that time in Gander. By the way, this is how remote it is. They were four hours from the nearest Starbucks. 38 planes end up being diverted there. It was 6,579 people grounded. 100 different countries were represented by the people who were grounded. Wow. There were 19 animals in cargo. And this is something that's different. Different sources talked about how long they had to stay on the plane. Some sources said, like this one, for example, the website said 317 minutes was how long it took to exit the planes from when they landed. But I saw other sources that said... Eight hours. Yeah, and one source said it was the next day. Yeah. So I've heard conflicting... Interesting. ...data on that one. No matter what, they were on there a while. Yeah. So what happened was, David and Irene, as you said, they came away from these interviews and they had 500 pages. They had all these stories in their head. They didn't know what to do. It's, It's cute because this is a quote I've heard across probably five to seven different sources. They said, what a challenge to try to tell... Over 16,000 stories over the course of five days in a 100-minute musical using only 12 actors. Yes. Please teach me your ways. I really need to learn this. That is so funny. They need to start a course. The the 16,000, of course, comes from... Oh, and by the way, we got it done in a year. Right. Well, there no you go. Biggie. Yeah. But the 16,000 comes from the number of people in the town and the number of people who were the come from a ways. So I heard, again, just in this podcast episode this morning, where they talked about taking papers and literally spreading all across their apartment, like their apartment in the floor, and starting to look for what, what were some out? of the themes, mm. what were some of the patterns, mm. because they realized, I love your narrative economy. Like, what are we going to have to make sure emerges from this? Mm -hmm. What is is central? Mm -hmm. They also talked about needing to have some spine characters. Mm. They thought about who are these people who were involved in this story that we can follow them all the way through. We heard their story. We know what happened to them 2001 when it happened. We know where they are now 2011. We we understand and we have a full picture basically of their story kind of all the way through. Over the last decade. mm -hmm. And so those people started to emerge as again main characters their main characters exactly and so that's how they started to build it they could not say enough about I mean they wanted to represent everybody they really wanted to represent everybody they kept saying these are the most incredibly warm incredibly personable people they just absolutely loved all of them so they wanted to do justice to the stories and that's why they had to to kind of look for these big ideas or these stories that were representative of the larger experience they said they wanted anybody who had been involved either to come from away or somebody from gander they wanted them to leave the musical saying my story was told up there Mm. so that was their challenge every single character that you see in the show is inspired by a real interview or several interviews again sometimes they combined and they would try to honor them with their names so sometimes the sometimes the name might actually be the full name of the person it was based on other times they might combine names so for example on the stage you see this character named janice 
Moser. Well, that is actually a combination of Brian Moser and Janice Gowdy. Janice oh. Gowdy worked at the Gander Beacon, so she was involved in news reporting and, and that from that angle, while Brian was a reporter for the Gander's community TV station, and he was also a media teacher at their local high school. So they just combined the two of them into one character on stage. Made a media person. Mm-hmm, and had honored them both by using one person's first name, one person's last name. I like that. Yeah, and that happened with some other people too, but that was a nice example that I wanted to pull out. So this was a, a quote I thought that hit the theme very well. This was something said directly by Brian and Irene as they're talking, I believe, in an interview that's on their website, the Come From Away website. They said, we're not focused on, you know, one group coming to a strange area. So many Broadway musicals do that, from South Pacific to Book of Mormon. It's about the protagonist coming to a strange place and being changed by it. What we're doing is taking two groups of protagonists. Mm. We're taking the people coming to the strange place, but we're also taking the people who live in that strange place, and we're showing you how they're both changed and how they both came together. That's what makes this whole thing a whole, realizing it's not us and them, it's all of us. Mm. Boy, they have a good grasp of storytelling. I know. I just, yeah, thought that was beautiful. One other thing that I'll add is, of course, not only are they trying to represent all of these characters and telling all these different stories but they're also trying to capture the events and the spirit yeah you know all of it i listened again just this morning as i was listening to that podcast episode they had the mayor giving some some comments in an interview and this absolutely got me he was talking about and you do see this in the show how they immediately when they heard these people were going to be landing they knew they needed food they Mm -hmm. knew they'd been sitting on the airplane for a long time Mm -hmm. they knew they would be hungry Mm -hmm. everybody in town starts trying to put together food for them if they're not doing something else to prepare mm-hmm. for them. So they had 7,000 lunches wow. that they had ready for these people as they were deplaning. And the mayor says in this interview, we knew they needed that food, but we were also ready to give every single one of them a hug too, because mm-hmm. we knew they needed the food and they needed a hug. Oh my gosh. Right? Like I literally teared up in the car listening to that. Yeah. They fed their souls and they fed their bellies. And he said that. He went on later and he said, we knew these people had just been through something terrible, traumatic. They needed love and compassion, and Mm -hmm. that's what we wanted to give them. Well, before we go on, why don't we take a (laughs) short break? I think we need to. So continuing with this idea of trying to represent all the different characters and their stories, this, of course, meant you needed a very talented cast. Yes. On average, every single one of those 12, I think it was 12 actors on stage, represents probably at least seven different roles. What are you saying? I'm saying that this one actor might be playing the pilot, Beverly Bass, Uh and then all of a sudden she's somebody on the plane who's deplaning, and then all of a sudden she's somebody in Gander who's in the coffee shop listening to the news and deciding she's going to go help make lunches. How do they do that? It was unbelievable. Tell me how they do that. The choreography was unreal. Okay. So I'm going to focus for a minute on the, the lady who did play Beverly Bass. Okay. I'm sure there are other people, of course. I know there are other people who have played that role. The actress that I got to see in the movie production, the the live taping of the Broadway show, yeah. her name was Jen Colella. And so every time that she was representing the pilot, Beverly Bass, which was, I think, her lead role, that was her main yeah, role. Yeah, that's what I... You yeah. would see her put her cap on. Okay. And she would just all of a sudden become, she would just, her stance, everything okay. would just say, I am now this pilot. Okay. But then she'd take off that hat. And she, again, might be speaking as a townsperson. Or all of a sudden, they would use the setting. It was a very, it was not an elaborate set. Okay. They used chairs a lot, chairs, sometimes small tables. Mm-hmm. But when they wanted to represent people on the plane, you would all of a sudden see everybody seated in these seats. And you could tell, well, they're clearly sitting on a plane. Oh. And so all of a sudden, again, Jen's hat might go off and she's over. And within seconds, she's seated in one of those seats. And now she's somebody on the plane. And she may or may not have a line in that little scene. All of a sudden. And it was easy to follow. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. At, and then all of a sudden, within seconds, you would have a shift and 
they are now, there's a little table and they're in a coffee shop and she might be standing over there. She might be somebody who's taking an order for coffee. I mean, I'm making that up. I don't know that that's exactly Uh her roles, but it was all done through very quick changes in seating, placement of tables, etc. Sometimes just taking off or on, you know, a prop. One character, a a gentleman played a Muslim character. And so sometimes he would take off and on a a little headpiece when he was becoming that character. But, you know, another role that he played was part of a gay couple that Uh they tell their story. And so you would see him move from one character to another. And they didn't change their clothes. Not necessarily. Maybe just a headpiece. Yeah, it might just be a hat. Sometimes adding a prop. Some sometimes it might be taking on or off a jacket or something but most of the time it was really just through quickly changing the the seating the setting Uh or one small prop and you could follow it the timing had to be impeccable oh yeah i mean oh yeah the choreography and and the amount of rehearsal it took just when you say choreography is there any dancing in this or do you mean movement like the staged movement choreography i was actually talking about the choreographing of the movement and the transitions okay but there is dancing okay in fact let's talk briefly about the music before we come back sure one of the things that the creators david and irene wanted to do was they felt it was incredibly important to incorporate the music that is kind of central to newfoundland david talks about that in some of his interviews he said he actually grew up on that remember he's canadian and so this was Mm -hmm. music that was important to him and it's very distinctive and so they knew irene said in an interview that's what confirmed for them this needed to be a musical really because they played with do we want to do it in a different way do we want to I think make it, it helps dramatic? To probably lighten some of the mm-hmm. heaviness of the subject matter absolutely but here's a quote from I believe David the people of Newfoundland are music makers their lives are filled with music you think of hand drums and fiddles and accordions and penny whistles and an ugly stick we wanted to bring this original music throughout the stage because it's a joy to listen to I love it it's in the DNA of the people there mm. and he says it's not your traditional Broadway fair. The best way I could describe it is traditional Celtic meets contemporary rock with a little bit of country and punk thrown in. Yeah. So that's another thing that really made it unique and also drew you right into feeling like you were part of this little family. Mm. So moving back to the characters, you mentioned already, we saw it in the documentary, one of the things that was very special was that these actors got to meet the people they were playing. And they said that that was both a blessing, but also made it a little more challenging. Oh, for sure. Because, a little more nerve wracking. Yes. They said playing a character who is a real life person felt daunting. That mm-hmm. was something that one of the actors said. He said, I think this was the fellow who played Oz. He said, not a lot of times you get to actually meet the person that you're playing in a show. It's fairly rare. There's a certain amount of pressure you feel as an actor to get the story right when the people you are playing are alive and witnessing you play them. Is that Oz Fudge? Yes. What a name. <laughs> Such a cute name. It is, a, it is a cute name. And so they got to spend time with these people. They got to, I think, form friendships with these people. In fact, it was that same actor who came back and he said, I know they're proud and hopefully they're flattered, mm-hmm. referring to the people that they portray. He said, for we are doing our very best that we can to tell their story with love and with respect and with admiration for all that they did. So one of the cool things was the creators and the other people involved in putting this show together had decided when they were casting they did not want to try to focus on appearance it didn't matter about age they didn't care about race okay. they needed actors who first of all were incredibly versatile because right. we've just talked about how they're going to be playing to just, different people yeah, and sure. you have to switch from one persona to the next in the drop of a hat which is I guess why they would say it didn't matter about your physical characteristics mm-hmm. because you'll be playing so many different people Absolutely. so they don't necessarily want the pilot to look like the pilot because she's going to be the pilot plus four other people. Absolutely. Okay. But that said, when you see that actress I've already referenced, Jen Colella with Beverly Bass, who she was playing, it is unreal. They refer to themselves as doppelgangers. They look and act and hold themselves so much alike that it almost gives you chills. I mean, it is just unbelievable. And then it was cute because the woman who played Beulah Davis, which by the way is a combination, that's one of those instances where they combined two people it was 
Beulah Cooper and Diane Davis. She talked about how they showed up and she met her counterpart and they were like almost wearing the same colors. Ah, like they felt they felt connected, connected to each other. And she also, by the way, just to kind of piggyback on something we said earlier, that actress made the point of saying, you know, I represented these two women, but I also represented all those other women from Gander and the surrounding areas who were coming in to feed these people, mm-hmm. to take them in, to bring them into their homes, to offer them showers. You know, she really wanted, they, they kept wanting to bring home that point that this kindness extended beyond Who the characters that show. they represented mm-hmm. on stage. Yeah. yeah, it was just just beautiful. So, since we've been talking about characters, thought we might hit on some of those main characters. Remember, the focus is the true story behind this hit Broadway show. So we're going to take a look at some of those spine characters, to okay. use that term, that get represented in Come From Away. So, that mayor, Claude Elliott, he was the town's mayor from 1996 until he retired in 2017. He really did start all his days, as they show in the Come From Away musical. He did start all his days going down to Tim Hortons, which was the that little kind of little coffee shop diner. Yeah. And that was his way to keep in touch with the townspeople. In the play, they show that he's dealing with a strike with the, the school bus drivers are on strike. They're, yeah, they and, say that in the documentary. But and they broke the strike to come get them. They did. Yeah. That was really true. They really broke their strike to go help these people at 9-11. And so this Mayor Claude was a great guy. He really was instrumental in orchestrating all these efforts across Gander and the surrounding areas to try to make sure that these people were taken care of. We've talked a lot about the pilot. I want to say a little bit more about Beverly. She was the third female commercial airline pilot hired by American Airlines in 1976. She went on to become the very first female captain in 1986 she made history like i looked her up on airline this little timeline of airline history yeah she's She's there there. she's there later that same year she again made history because she was captaining the first all-female crew in the history of commercial jet aviation it was an american airlines flight that flew from washington dc to dallas texas they reference this in the play she has this song that she sings where it talks about her accomplishments i think i saw breaking ground Mm -hmm. I think I saw part of that in the documentary. Yeah, it does. It is so inspiring. There's so many parts of this musical where you are just... Your heart soars. Yes, absolutely. So they represented that in the play. It went on to say, after breaking ground in that way, Beverly Bass went on to co-found the International Society of Women Airline Pilots. And then today, it has hundreds of members from all over the world. She also served for 16 years as a Czech airman, which is the position on the flight team that performs the pre-flight checks. She retired in 2000. 2008 after a career that spanned 32 years. Wow. Now that signature song that we just referenced is actually called Me in the Sky. Uh-huh. And it it says in there that she really, you know, that she got her start earning $5 per hour flying dead bodies for a mortician in Fort Ooh. Worth, Texas. That's true. Ooh. Yeah, she, that really happened. She was 21 years old at the time. A quote from one of the actresses who plays Beverly in the musical. Love this. My favorite part of this role is the influx of messages from young ladies who are perhaps wanting or aspiring to be in industries that are male dominated and the story of Beverly really inspires them to pursue their goals. Mm. So one last side note, Beverly, obviously she's retired. She's had more time to go and she has seen the show many times, but she said her first time seeing it was the hardest. Mm. Here's a quote from her. My husband and I were just stunned. We were sitting three rows back, right in the center. And when she comes out, rolls her chair and says, hi, Tom, Mm. I'm fine. My husband buried his head in his hands and I'm not even sure he saw the rest of the show. What it made me realize, though, is how difficult that day was for my family. It was much more difficult than it was for me because I had a job to do. And then she also shared that the toughest moment of that day for her was telling the passengers about the diversion to Gander because she had so little information and she didn't even know what to tell them. Yeah. And she's one who actually says, remember we talked earlier about the different quotes and statistics about how long they were on the plane. She herself said, and then when we got to Gander, we were actually on the airplane 20 28 hours before we got off. So I would say it was probably 30 hours before our crew actually saw visuals of what had happened on TV. So two things. And then she's not talking to her family in those 30 hours. Exactly. None of them had, which 
was a oh. huge thing they talked about. These people set up all these phone lines yeah. to let the come from aways contact their family. It ended, they wouldn't take any money. By the way, they mm. would take no money for anything. Mm. And it talked about the thousands of dollars that it cost. Long distance phone calls? Yes. Yeah. That they would set up, you know, in schools or in some of their public gathering places, they would just set up all these phone lines and they just paid the cost. But to follow up on two things she said, first of all, it was really emotional when they would finally get through and you would see them checking on their family members. One woman will come back to this, but she had a firefighter son. So they were checking on their loved ones, but they also needed their loved ones to know they were okay. Mm -hmm. And that moment when she tells her husband she's fine, you feel it. You really feel it. And then the other thing I would say is they also represent in the play when all these people came off the plane, how it just blew the gander people away because they're like, they don't know. They don't know anything. They don't know. And they, they show there's this powerful scene where you see them representing everybody just standing there looking up like they're staring at TVs taking in what has happened it absolutely gives you chills well another couple represented in the musical are Nick and Diane and just the way they show it in the musical Nick and Diane were really on the same plane moving from London to Dallas Diane was flying home to Dallas Nick was actually an Englishman who worked in the oil industry he was traveling to Texas for business so they didn't know each other they did not know each other oh but they must later because you Uh, call them a couple (laughs) yes they do so they were staying with other fellow passengers at the Society of United Fishermen Hall in the small town of Gambo. It was about 30 miles outside of Gander. And during the four days they were stuck together, they became friends. Mm -hmm. They went sightseeing around the island and they did actually participate in a screech-in ceremony, which is shown in the musical. It is this cute little tradition that they do in that area where you have to drink some of their local drink and you have to kiss a fish. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness. Yeah. And and there seemed to be a lot of dancing involved as well. But anyway, they actually did these things, which you see happen. And they later married. They now live in Houston, Texas. They've been back to Gander several times. The first was for their honeymoon, which Nick said was a no-brainer. And they did another time. They went back for the 10th anniversary commemorations. Nick said, this is his quote, it wasn't easy going back at first. It was survivor guilt. Mm. For the longest time, we were not comfortable sharing our story. I mean, here we were finding this wonderful relationship at a time when so many families had their lives turned upside down. Mm -hmm. It just didn't seem appropriate. Mm. But a quick comment I'll make is I think what a nice choice it was to include a story like that. A positive part. Exactly. Something uplifting. Mm -hmm. And it was true because it it just was a nice balance to see something wonderful happen Mm -hmm. for some people when others were struggling so much. They've stayed in touch just like a bunch of the other people. The other come from a ways. In fact, they said, we have a gander happy hour every Friday when we talk on the phone. Aww. Yeah. You'll love this story. Bonnie Harris was represented in the musical as well. She was the manager of the animal shelter in Gander, and she had worked at the local chapter of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals for five years. She was the first person to push on officials to look at the plane manifest to see how many animals were Mm, on board. Because nobody would have thought of that. No, no. I mean, the way they portray it, nobody did. On September 12th, she and two other women from the SPCA, I'm going to say their names because they're not in the show. Okay. Vi Tucker and Linda Humby. These women were the first to go into the holds of the stranded planes and help those animals. It took these women 10 hours in cramped, unsanitary conditions to visit all the animals across the planes, including one epileptic cat that really did have a pill strapped to the side of its crate, the way they show in the musical. And there really were two rare bonobo apes the good news was the apes had a handler who took care of them oh, they didn't good. show that on the plane they didn't show that in the plane but they did have a handler and eventually the officials were convinced to allow them to move those animals to the hangar so that they could be cared for and there was a, a local veterinarian named doug doc tweedy who also helped take care of them mm. beulah and hannah this was one of the really sad stories beulah was the treasurer of the ladies auxiliary for the royal canadian legion in gander on 9 11 and she was one of the ones that was very instrumental mental in taking care of the come from away guests in the legion hall she, okay. like lots of the food organization of where are we going to put them up and get the let's get the beds ready all those things yeah hannah o'rourke who actually was with her husband i don't recall that being represented in the play i think they had her by herself as i recall okay but in real life hannah o'rourke and her husband dennis did take beulah up on her offer of a shower that is something that happened a lot these people from gander and the surrounding areas would literally be like come to 
take a shower in my home. Come stay mm-hmm. in my home. If you need a place, to, you can get some food here. Like they literally took them into their homes. Mm-hmm. But Hannah wouldn't leave the phone in the Legion Hall because their son, Kevin, was a firefighter in Brooklyn, just across the bridge from Manhattan in the Twin Towers, and he was missing. Mm-hmm. So she was afraid if she stepped away from the phone, even for a minute, she might miss the call. So Dennis took the shower. She wouldn't leave. Mm-hmm. And just like in the musical Come From Away, Beulah did try to comfort Hannah by telling her bad jokes. And Beulah could empathize. Her own son was a volunteer firefighter. They had did have that in connection. They showed that too. And they formed this friendship and they are friends to this day. Mm. And, and, the, and Kevin was lost. Yeah. I remember that from the documentary. So the final character update I'll give you is the two Kevins. This was represented. You saw them in the play when they're with Nick and Diane. They do the, I believe they do the screech ceremony together. So in real life, Kevin Turf and his partner, who was also named Kevin, were traveling back to Texas because Kevin T, I'll call him, was the CEO and the co-founder of a place called Enviromedia. Uh-huh. It was an environmentally and socially conscious marketing firm is how they described it in one source so kevin t shared again he had the same experience other people had had you know being treated with such kindness such compassion being taken care of while he was in gander and you know he said that businesses were even giving away free prescriptions i mean oh my goodness anything they needed diapers baby food all the things people would find it and he said this comes back to the point we were just making here's the exact data he said this school they turned on their computers and they turned over their phones and they said just make a call wherever you want to oh. and they refuse to take any money their phone bill was thirteen thousand oh dollars for that one school alone for our one plane so he had tracked oh. the data he knew how much they had spent yeah just that one act of kindness for this one group of people thousand mm-hmm. dollars So when he returned to Texas, he couldn't forget that kindness. And he said, quote, and what happened was I came home to Texas and I said, would we do the same? Would you let people into your home to take a shower? Because that's what these people were doing. Mm -hmm. And this inspired him so much. By the way, their relationship broke up and they do show that on the show. But Kevin T continued on. He was so inspired that he decided that on the following year, the anniversary of 9-11 and every year since, he would send his employees out onto the streets of Austin in pairs armed with $100 and instructions to do good deeds for strangers. Today, that initiative has become the Pay It Forward 9-11 Foundation, which encourages people everywhere to remember the generosity of the people of Newfoundland by doing three good deeds on September 11th. He is, Kevin T is the founder and president, and there's a website. I'm, I'm going to put it in our sources. These people are incredible. Yeah. So they mention this. Not only was Kevin inspired by their kindness, but other people were too. They show the story of one plane when they got back on. They passed the hat, and they had all these people, all these come from a ways who were throwing in this money so that they could do scholarships. I think it was yes, mentioned on the documentary. That was mentioned on the documentary. Yeah. And one of the people on the plane ended up designing the memorial, right? Um. Yes. I, I can't remember the details. Details, but he was part of the committee that designed yes. because he took what he learned in Gander and he That's designed right. one of the buildings. I can't remember his name, but we'll definitely post the documentary and you guys can see that. But I thought, my goodness, this guy was in Gander and he's one of the ones that does, if, if not the one that designed the memorial. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, as you would expect, after all this came out, Gander saw a huge spike in tourism. I would imagine. So I want to go to Gander. I know. Who doesn't, right? Until COVID hit. Mm. And obviously that slowed it down. But an article that was published a year ago said it's starting to pick back up again. They said that one of the main things people do want to see the the beautiful setting because it's supposed to be gorgeous. And it's actually the only authenticated Viking settlement in North America, according to one site. But they said most of the people are there just to meet the Ganderites. They just Mm -hmm. want to meet the people who were part of that story. Mm -hmm. And so the mayor, the former mayor says, quote, we take them around in our own cars and show them the places that the plain people stayed. The plain people. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I'll get a call from town hall asking me to come over because 25 people want to meet me. Wow. (laughs) And so they seem very humble, too. They're like, hey, that's uh, us. They are. In fact, over and over again, they talked about when they were doing all those interviews, you know, that led to the musical that people kept going, really? Yeah. You want to do a play about this? You know, they couldn't imagine it. But they actually do still have their screeching in ceremony and all the things. So 
Armchair psychologist. For our armchair. Oh my goodness. In the documentary that we both saw, Mm -hmm. and also in that quote that I referenced earlier, we heard people speculating that they think one of the reasons why this story has resonated so much is because our world has actually become a little less kind. Oh yeah. Over the last, I don't know, five to ten years. Yeah. And just these stories of this incredible compassion and being willing to sacrifice sacrifice mm-hmm. and just work around the clock to help people you don't even know that, yeah. that, that that's what they think has made it such a special production. So mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, do you agree with that? I, I do. I think that we have as a community become more cynical, more pessimistic. Whenever I'm feeling really sad or depressed, I go to YouTube and I look at this series called Faith in Humanity Restored. Mm-hmm. And it's strangers helping other people, whether it's, you know, rescuing them out of situations and s- some of the most moving ones are people who are helping people in car accidents where they will oh. go into a car and they will pull the person out and just all of these people will converge and just immediately help. There was this one video that happened very recently where I saw this lady uh, apparently had a, a medical emergency in her car. She had some kind of seizure, but her car just started to drift into oncoming traffic. It, mm. it was, a, imagine this, the most busy intersection you can in some big city and this woman woman that turned out to be her co-worker just starts running like Superman and she grabs the car and she starts like gesturing and people start jumping out of their cars and they guide this car off and there was this guy walking past with his coffee and he all of a sudden just does this a woman grabs a dumbbell and she smashes out the window and gives it to a man who smashes out the window who grabs the wheel and it it was just this and it was all coordinated but none of them knew each other Right. And those kind of things just make me feel like mm-hmm. there is hope for humanity and, and there's pockets of humanity. So I think plays like this and incidents like this is not even a play. It's based on reality. I think they're important to show mm-hmm. us that there are these pockets of humanity and there are these good, kind people still out there. And it's important to know the history, mm-hmm. to know that these people did do this. So there's something, you know, around our area when, when the tornado happened it last uh, December, you had people who were coming from everywhere to help. Yeah. So that's our own version of it, I guess. Oh, I love that. It struck me the same way, you know, when Kevin T said, would we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, it makes you think about these people who really just didn't even think, you know, I mean, they're not only giving food and everything they have, opening, you know, people who own stores were like, okay, just take anything you need off yeah. my shelves. I mean, yeah. the, the money these people lost, not just working around the clock, there were no sleep, trusting and opening your home. And letting someone take a shower in your home, a stranger take mm-hmm. a shower in your home is huge. Yeah, I mean, just all, the, like they were willing to give up their time they were willing to give up their money they were willing to just and literally give hugs to people yes just and to you and i have compassion. done podcast after podcast even in this series about why that's a terrible idea <laughs> we have you know yeah, that's true. and we've been like everybody be careful don't do this don't do this and these people just did it because their hearts are are so kind and mm-hmm. it it paid off for them that just the goodness of humanity there was a quote again from the same mayor now i've referenced several times he said on the first day seven thousand strangers landed i'm paraphrasing but sure. this is the essence of it by about day three we had seven thousand friends mm. by the time the last plane took off on day five we were saying goodbye to seven thousand family members oh my goodness yeah and I think, I think that's why it's just so incredibly uplifting to think about, as you said, it just, it does, it restores your faith in humanity to think that there's such heart and such goodness out mm-hmm. there. And it makes you think about yourself. I like his pay it forward. How have I done something kind for mm-hmm. somebody? You know, how can I change somebody's day just by some small act of kindness, right. you know, just turning something around. Well, thank you for covering this. I'm going to emotionally recover and I'm going to watch it, but I'm going to watch it with no makeup on. That's for sure. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, You're going to, you're going to be blown away. Not only is your heart going to be touched, but also that director part of you is going to just be amazed by the craftsmanship of it. Yep. I'm going to watch it once for fun and probably again for analyzing it or probably at the same time. I can't stop my brain from analyzing. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Cheers. Who are we going to cheers? I, I, I just, I, I think the Ganderites, I think we che- cheers them as a whole. I mean, thank you to the two people who put together the play, but none of this would have happened without them. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. 
If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.